Acts chapter number 3 tonight. Acts chapter number 3. This morning we went back to page 1. And we looked at ministry on page 1. We looked at exactly what took place in the early days of the church. And if you remember, we talked about how men were grasping at straws, how Peter stood up and they had to figure out, they had to fix it. Judas Iscariot had caused this great division. Judas Iscariot had caused this great void in that twelfth disciple. And Peter, being any man like myself, he, he got in the flesh and he said, we have got to fix this. He even got some prophecy that said uh, to back him up. And he even went and convinced everybody that they needed to take a vote, they needed to cast some lots. And God never mentions Matthias again, but we saw God had other plans. He called Saul. He, called, he turned him into the, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. He used him to kickstart and ignite the church into what it is today. And then we saw the hard part that was in the middle, the church that was giving it their all. The church that was giving it their all. And we talked about how they needed to stay in doctrine. They needed to stay in the Word. They needed to stay in prayer. They needed to stay in fellowship. They needed to love one another. And that, how challenging it's going to be in the days ahead. But tonight I want to just move right on to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter number 3. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Stand with me as we pay honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter number 3, verse number 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So tonight I want to bring before you this thought. When Jesus is all you have left. When Jesus is all you have left. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it's been in my life. Thank you for opening your pages to your servant. Thank you for opening your book. I pray that this is a blessing to the church. I pray that you use this to be a help to them. God, not to bring glory to any man, not to bring glory to any person, God, but to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that your Holy Spirit move in this place and help us to see that there is something to note here. There is something to gain. There is something to accept, Father, in this message. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just to play catch up a little bit from this morning's message to tonight's message, the day of Pentecost has happened in between here. We know that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was given to the believers. The church was officially empowered and embodied and started on that great day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people got saved through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you notice in your Bible, it does say the Acts of the Apostles. But more specifically, it should say the Acts of the Holy Spirit of God because it wasn't in any man, it wasn't in any one of those apostles that did anything, but the Holy Spirit of God that moved and, and, and showed through them and was able to be used of them. And <clears throat> tonight, I want us to first and foremost draw attention back to that Holy Spirit of God. Jesus walked this earth for 33 and one half years and we sing songs about Him. We sing hymns of praise about Him. We should sing hymns of praise about Him. We should give the Lord Jesus Christ all honor and all glory and all reverence. But I want to point out to you tonight a simple fact that the Holy Spirit has dwelt on this earth now for 2,020 years since the day there at Pentecost. And how much honor and pay to respect do we give to the Holy Spirit? And tonight, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit has just saved 3,000 people through His ministry and through the working of the Holy Spirit of God. And we see this church ignite. We see this church begin to be the church that is alive and well today. The church was alive and well at this point in spite of a few things. Now, 
there would have been many that would have looked at this church, that would have looked at this body of believers and said, there is absolutely no way they're going to make it. And I've got some proof they're going to make it. Number one, they did not have a complete Bible. They didn't have a constitution. They didn't have anything to guide them. They didn't have any set of statutes. You see, the, the world that they would have come from would have been that uh, Judaism worldview that, that they would have had the Torah and the books of Moses and the law, and they would have had something to ground them, something to stand on. You see, this church, all they had was the words, the literal words of Jesus Christ and the literal promises of Jesus Christ. And as an outsider looking in, they, those Jews would have pointed the finger and said, they don't even have a holy book. They don't even have something that they can fall back on. They don't even have a foundation. They don't even have something that they can quote. They don't even have something that came directly from God to tell them what to do. How blind they were to realize that they had the Son of God walk with them and talk with them and pour into them exactly what He was going to have them to do in the, in the days ahead. But to look at it in a black and white scenario, they did not have a completed Bible. I just want to point out, point out a simple fact. We do. Another reason that many people probably thought they would never make it is they did not have a compassionate brotherhood. Many of these men were saved out of Judaism. A lot of these people were saved out of the Jewish religion and it did not go over well with their families. It did not go over well with their brethren. It did not go over well with the people around them. At the moment that they received Christ, at the moment that they aligned themselves with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, they were probably immediately became an enemy of the Sanhedrin, an enemy of the Pharisees, an, en an enemy of the Jewish synagogue. They would have been on the run. They would have been persecuted. They would not have been liked for their decision. They would not have been uh, cheered on for their decision. I know even today, as wicked as our world is today, and at least in this country, at least still in the United States of America, you can walk into a place and you can profess to be a Christian. You are not stoned. You are not attacked. You are not... Uh, there is no threat to your life. Somebody might make a smart aleck comment or somebody might... Uh, throw some shade at you with their words, but there is no threat to your life. But here, these believers, they were in a place where their very existence, their very life on this earth would have been threatened just because they aligned themselves with the cause of Christ. And this threat would have came from the very people that were once their brothers and sisters, the very people that were once the ones they would enjoy the Feast of Passover with or the Feast of Trumpets or the Feast of Pap Tabernacles. These would have been the very people that they came and they sacrificed with. These would have been the very people that they made journeys to Jerusalem with. These would have been the very people that they grew up with. And now they are mortal enemies. They did not have a compassionate brotherhood. They did not have a completed Bible. And they did not have a consistent building. Look at this. There was no First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. It did not exist. When this day of Pentecost was come and all these people began, began to be, be saved, we talked about it this morning, that word house to house was quite literally. They could not corporately gather together and meet and worship just as we have the privilege of doing today. They did not have a building where they could take shelter, where they could take safety, where they could take sanctuary, where they could have solace. They did not have any of those luxuries. Rather, they were forced, in many cases, underground to hide and to scatter and to stay divided. Yet they thrived. How in the world could a church that was under such scrutiny, how in the world could a church that was under such persecution, how in the world could a church that didn't have a Bible, that didn't have a completed Bible, that didn't have a compassionate brotherhood, and that did not have a concrete building to meet in, they did not have a chance unless you realize what they did have. 
And tonight, that's simply what I want to bring to you. I know we've got to be short tonight. I know we've got some big things to talk about, but the biggest one in the room tonight has some things to say to you and some reminders for you. So I want to help you to understand tonight that there is a message from heaven here in the book of Acts. And we see Peter and John used to show us something that is so huge and that is so critical, not only in the early church, but in the current church. We see Peter and John used to not just heal a lame man here, but to show us something that they did have that was so much bigger than anything we could possibly imagine, that is so much more powerful than any of us many could even dream to realize. Let's look at what exactly did they have? What exactly did they have? Let's look back and review with verse number 6. Chapter 3, verse number 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Such as I have. What did they have? Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Praise God. In the name of Jesus Christ. That was all he had. Jesus was all he had left. He had sold his possessions. He had completely devoted himself to the ministry God had placed him in. He had completely devoted himself to the church. All he had was Jesus. And tonight I would submit that Jesus is all you need. And a lot of us would say that. A lot of us would cheer amen to that. And I praise God for you. But do you live like it? Do you live like Jesus is all you need? Or do you just got to have that TV? Do you just got to have that phone? Do you just got to have those other things, those other comforts? Or is Jesus really all you need? In the days ahead, as Anchor of Hope Baptist Church, we're going to have to ask ourselves the question, is Jesus enough for us? Is Jesus all we need? Is Jesus going to be what's going to get us through? Is Jesus who we're going to cling to? Is Jesus who we're going to hold to? Is Jesus who we're going to talk about? Is Jesus who we're going to portray? Is Jesus who we're going to stand beside in the days ahead? I pray that it is. When Jesus is all you have, Jesus is all you need. But when Jesus is all you have left, number one, currency is exchanged. Look at verse number two. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb. This is talking about a desperate beggar. A certain man lame from his mother's womb. What does that simply mean? He had never, ever, 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 ever walked before. He didn't get hurt in an injury and didn't walk since. It says lame from his mother's womb. This man had never known what it was to be mobile. This man had never known what it was to walk. This man had never known what it was to be able to be like a normal human being, like a regular human being, and walk to the temple. He had to be carried by the temple. He had to be carried and laid at the gate so that he could simply beg for enough money or enough substance to stay alive. He had to simply be ushered everywhere he was. In every sense of the word, he was handicapped. He had a problem. He had something that he could not cover, overcome by himself. But in this desperate beggar situation, here comes Peter and John. Here comes two men that he had no earthly idea who they were. Imagine how many days that man sat outside that temple. Imagine how many times he'd reached out his hand for something. He'd reached out his hand for alms. He'd reached out his hand to be to receive a blessing, to receive something that could just help him survive. And how many times his hands would be smacked down. And how many times his hands would be swashed aside because those Jewish priests, those Pharisees, those Sanhedrins aren't necessarily known for being the most nice guys. It would probably be very rare that that man ever received anything. Yet he came day after day because he was carried. And they said that if there's any place, somebody might help you. If there's any place you might get some help, it's here at the temple. Surely, if somebody's looking for something bigger than this world, surely if somebody's looking for some help, surely if somebody's looking for something just a little bit bigger than what this world has to offer, surely they can find it at the house of God. And here comes Peter and John. 
Here comes two men of God that had been praying, that had been fasting, that had just seen the Holy Spirit of God move in and save 3,000 people. Imagine the fire that's burning on the inside of them. Imagine the zeal that they would have had to go unto that temple. Yet here they are, and they say, Jesus is all we have. Jesus is all we have. Look, not only was there a desperate beggar, but there was a deliberate beseeching. A deliberate beseeching. Look what Peter says. Verse number three, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms and Peter fastening his eyes upon him. What John said, look on us. Peter looked at him and he said, look at me, look on us, make eye contact with us. What's Peter doing here? No doubt this man had watched priest after priest and Pharisee after Pharisee and Sanhedrin after Sanhedrin and Sadducee after Sadducee move in and out of this temple. He'd watch religious leader after religious leader, religious leader after religious leader go in and out and do nothing for him or maybe throw him a few scraps of bread or maybe throw him a few pennies or whatever they had in their pocket. But Peter took it a point to not just hand off a handout, not just hand off, but he said, look at me. Was Peter trying to give him give himself glory? No. Was Peter trying to make sure he remembered Peter's face so he would know who to be thankful towards? No. Peter said, look at me because he wanted to see Peter as a fisherman, not a Pharisee. Y'all remember what Peter did beforehand? He was a fisherman. He was just like you. He was just like me. He worked a regular nine to five job. He wasn't a, a career religious person. He wasn't a career uh, Pharisee. He wasn't a career Sadducee. He wasn't anything special. He was a fisherman, not a Pharisee. And I truly believe with all my heart when he said, look at us, he wanted that lame man to see that these people were just a little bit different than who normally was walking through that gate. These people were just a little bit different than who would have normally passed by and maybe thrown him some pennies. He said, look at us. Look who you're asking. We're fishermen, Peter and John. We're nothing. Look who you're asking. And at that moment, that man looked up and he didn't see the white robes or the little jingle bells or the little funny hat. At the very moment, he would have probably said, hey, that guy, he don't look much different than me. He don't look much. Y'all following here? He don't look all high roller and high and mighty like all the other guys. Hey, this guy, these guys look kind of like me. We see a deliberate beseeching in a distinct basis. He said, silver and gold have I none. He leads with that. Have you ever? I've been there. Have you ever been in one of those positions where the bank account is empty? And you make that phone call to somebody maybe in your family or a friend because you need help. And the, they, they hear you. They understand what you're asking for. But the first words out of their mouth are, silver and gold, have I none? That's happened to me. Now, that whether they have the money in the bank to give you or not, I don't know. And it's really none of our business. But there's some times in life where the answer is no. It's no. Peter led with that. He said, silver and gold have I none. No doubt the spirit inside that man was, well, that's what I need. But Peter wanted to make him realize, no, that's not what you need. Silver and gold is not what you're asking for. Silver and gold is not why you're at this gate. Silver and gold is not why we're passing by your way. Silver and gold is not why I'm asking you to look at me. Silver and gold is not why I'm having this conversation with you. I've got something so much bigger than silver, so much bigger than gold. I've got something I want to share with you. I want to give you that's so much bigger than anything you could possibly ask for. But I want you to see it. I want you to understand it does not come from a bank account. It does not come from wealth. It does not 
not come from an income. It does not come from a career. It does not come from a standing or a stature. It does not come from Facebook followers or Twitter followers or a social standing. It does not come from a political background. What I have is not founded on anything this world has to offer. It was distinct. Silver and gold have I none. When are we going to wake up and realize that the God we serve uses gold for asphalt? You ever thought about that? The God we serve uses gold for asphalt. He paves his streets and his kingdom with solid gold. Yeah, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but that ain't nothing compared to what God has in his storehouse and his ability to bless and his ability to give. So in our vision, in our little world that we live in and we put ourselves in, if money is the thing we're searching for like this man, if we're looking for silver, or we're looking for gold. We've missed it clearly. Peter and John wanted to say silver and gold have I none. But all that I have, I give thee. So we see a currency is exchanged. Next, we see crutches are empty. Look at verse number six. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth. Go to rehab. No. What does it say? Look at the faith in that statement. A man who was lame from his mother's womb, a man who had never walked before, a man whose legs would have been literal sticks, wouldn't have had any muscle tissue, wouldn't have had any tendons in the right places, any joints in the right places. His legs would have looked like a mangled mess. He'd simply been dragged and carried everywhere he went. Peter looked at him and said, stand up and walk. Stand up and walk. Look at the faith Peter has in this statement here. Look at the faith that the man has to stand up. A lot of us applaud Peter for the faith to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But think about the faith of the man to push himself up off the ground. A man who's never experienced what it is to walk. We see a clear identity. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ. He wanted it very clearly understood that it was not Simon Barjona. It was not Peter. It was not John. It was not any man on this earth that was about to do what he was about to do before he even healed, before the miracle had taken place, before the man stood up. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, he was putting that name on the title deed. He was putting that name and saying, you can take this name to the bank before you leave the ground, before you try to stand up in the name of Jesus Christ, that name which is above every name, that name which can heal, that name which can bind, that name which can do miracles and wonders among many witnesses, and that name is what's going to get you through this. Peter wanted to make it very clear, a certain identity that in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Not just a clear identity, but a complete initiation. God did not require, again, that man to go to rehab. That man did not require that man, that man to spend a couple weeks on crutches and then a couple weeks in a wheelchair and then a couple weeks of this. It was instantaneously. Look with me in verse number 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankles received strength. That word immediately, you know what that means? Immediately. Some of us, we overthink this way too much. And immediately he received strength. It was instantaneous. Instantaneous. That man had the faith to take Peter's hand. That man had the faith to stand up. He stood up. That's all God requires is that faith. He didn't require him to run down to a priest. He didn't require him to perform a ceremony. He didn't require him to go do this or go do that. No, he said, stand up. Stand up. We see a competent individual. You know how? You can just spot a phony a mile away when they're on TV and they're casting out this and healing that and doing all this crazy stuff. 
When you see that person who's been healed or when you see that person who's been touched or whatever they do, I mean, they absolutely beat the snot out of these people. I don't know how they're even conscious how they're done after they're done with one of these services if you ever watch one. But those people, what's your name? Ah! They can't even talk. They can't even talk. They, they don't even know what's going on. They're so high on emotion. They're so high on whatever. They've been drinking so much of that guy's Kool-Aid. They don't have a clue what's going on. But when you look here in this miracle, when this miracle performed, he said he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. He knew exactly who it was that healed him. And it wasn't Benny Hinn. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. He did not have to question. He did not have to wonder who touched him, who got him up off the ground. He did not have to wonder who it was that healed him. Just like the day when you, Jesus found you, you didn't wonder who it was that took your sins away. You didn't question who it was that healed you from your wickedness. You didn't question who it was that came looking for you in that midnight hour. You knew exactly who it was. He was a very clear and competent individual after this happened. He wasn't just a wash. I want to just note that. He knew exactly what happened. Currencies exchanged, crutches are emptied, crowds are enthralled. When Jesus is all you have left. Verse number 9. And all the people saw Him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. It was a dramatic change. They didn't question, is that him or is that not him? No, that must be his twin brother who's not lame. That must be his twin brother who's not a cripple. No, they knew immediately when they saw him walking and leaping and praising God, they said, that's him. But there's been a change. There's been a dramatic change. There's been a historic change. There's been a miraculous. Now, I know that's him. I know that's who I think it is. I know that's that guy I've walked by every day on the sidewalk. I know that's that guy I said would never change. I know that's that guy I said he was just asking for a handout. I know that's that guy that's been playing church. I know that's that guy that's just been faking it. I know that's that guy that's just being a hypocrite. I know that's that guy that's just at work and he cusses all the time. I know that that's that guy on the TV channel that tries to mislead or mistake people. I know that that's that guy. I know that that's that gal that's been sinning and sinning and sinning, but I know that's them, but they're different now. I know that's them, but there's been a distinct change. There's been a distinct change. I've seen people walk in this church and walk back out, and in between there was a distinct change. And I've seen people walk in this church and walk back out, and there was no change. And that's between them, and that's between them and God. But when somebody walks in this place, there ought to be preaching that causes conviction. And there ought to be a Holy Spirit-pleasing atmosphere that allows change to take place. There ought to be such a humility amongst the body and amongst the preacher that it allows change to take place. That it is not up to man to decide what changes need to take place. It is not up to man to decide this bone needs to connect to this bone, lame man. This bone needs to connect to this bone. And if you'll just do this and if you'll just do that, then we'll fix you and we'll get you all worked out. He said, no, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And God did the fixing. God did the perfecting. God did the one did everything that needed to be done in that man's life. And people immediately noticed a change. And they knew who it was. Not only was it a dramatic change, but there was a deep conviction. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. 
Nobody had to look at them and say, you guys should be excited about this. No, they, they knew. They saw what happened. And they were filled from the inside out. And they, you know in their hearts they knew. Whatever just happened to him, I want it. Whatever just happened to that guy, I want in. Whatever he just experienced, I want a part of that. Church, that's what it's going to take in this community. That's what it's going to take with your coworkers. That's what it's going to take with your neighbors. It's seeing something so distinctively different in you that they want it. That they want it. They want the joy you have. They want the peace your family has. They want the ability to just simply be there for somebody that you have. To just love somebody, regardless of where they're from, what they've done, who they are. To just care for somebody that's downtrodden. But lastly, there was a devoted challenge. Look at what Peter said. Verse number 11. And the lame man which was healed beheld Peter and John, and all the people ran together unto them on the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Peter wanted to make absolutely sure he received none. Zero of the glory for what had just taken place. And he wanted to make absolutely sure that all those that ran to that porch, all those that ran to that man of God to say, what in the world just happened to him? He wanted to make absolutely sure that you knew. You know. You absolutely understand what happened to him because you see, you knew Jesus. God wrote His image on your heart. You know by looking at creation, He's out there. You know by looking at creation that He exists. You know by your own sin nature that you are imperfect. You know by your own sin nature that you need a Savior. You know by your own choice and your own willingness to sin each and every day that you are eternally separated from a holy and righteous God. And you know that without the grace of this Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to spend eternity in hell. And you know exactly what's taking place here in you. And you know exactly what needs to happen in your life. You see, the lost in this day and age, it's not that they don't know, it's that they refuse to admit, just like it's always been. That hasn't changed. Sinners are going to be sinners. Sinners are going to sin. The lost people are going to act like lost people. But what has happened is the church has quit acting like the church and the church has quit pointing people to Jesus. And instead, they're pointing people to a sign. They're pointing people to a building. They're pointing people to a man. And if we would just get back to doing exactly what Peter did and just pointing people to Christ, pointing people to the one who died for us, pointing people to the one who took the nails, who took the thorns, who took the 39 stripes, if we'd be willing to just put our own pride aside and put our own egos aside and say, I want to point people to who I'm supposed to point people because Jesus is all I have. Jesus is all I have. And that's what's going to make the difference between you and me and Peter. Look back at verse number 6. What makes the difference? Peter said, such as I have, give I. When was the last somebody, time you gave somebody Jesus? When was the last time you shared the gospel? I'm not asking you to look to your left or look to your right or say, well, they haven't either. I got two tw twin brother and sisters in here. I know that's what they're tempted to do. Well, they didn't do it, so I didn't do it. I know that's how me and my brothers were. But as a family of God, we've got to understand we are a family, but we are saved individuals. We have to understand, are we like Peter? When was the last time we gave Jesus to somebody? Because in the days ahead, that's what it's going to take. In the days ahead, that's what's going to be required, regardless of which direction we go. 
Are we willing to share Jesus with the person next to us in our actions, in our speech, in our inactions? Jesus is who we need to portray. Jesus is who people need to see when they see us. Jesus is who people need to hear when we speak. So tonight as we close, I would sincerely, every person in this room, carefully examine yourself. If you brought in a little note card of things you wanted to say or things you wanted to propose, examine it. Does it show Christ and His love? And I know there's some hard questions and some hard answers that have to be gone over. I understand that. But will it bring honor and glory to Jesus? If it won't, tear it up, scratch it out, get it out of here. Get it out of here. Because that's not what we need. We need God. We need His church, meaning you. And we need His presence tonight.